welcome to Ascending Olympus, the Edge of the Crowds Olympics and Paralympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie, and tonight I'm joined by Jason and Michelle. So how are you guys tonight? I'm doing really well. Um, it's been a long weekend and uh, yeah, it's going to be an even longer week, but looking forward to um, talking with you guys tonight. Yeah, we'll talk about it later in this episode, but my body is not mentally prepared for uh, figure skating worlds because uh, the time zones this time are really going to screw me over. I got too comfortable with Olympics being in Beijing and only a couple of hours time difference. I will say, I think it's borderline, I don't know, because maybe it's that I'm a night out. It's better than it being in the United States or Canada. That's my only like <laughs> upside is I'm like, at least it's not starting at 5 a.m. <laughs> Uh, but we, as you said, we're going to get to that at the end of the episode tonight. We're going to start with talk about how some Aussies have done over the weekend because we talked about it last week uh, and now we're talking about it this week. Jakara Anthony, you might remember her as an Olympic gold medalist, you know, no big deal. But her amazing season has gone even better she won two silver medals last weekend in the mogul singles and the jewels moguls in france last weekend and that helped her win two crystal globes which means that she won the world title for both the dual moguls and then also the overall moguls she ended up third in the singles moguls count but she was good enough and it was all close enough that she still took that overall moguls title yeah, absolutely um, great form to carry in from that gold medal at the Olympic Games and um, continue that sort of run of form throughout the rest of the, um, you know, the season, World Cup season. And um, yeah, to come away with not one, but two World Cup crystal globes for the 2021-22 season is just an incredible feat. And, you know, she hasn't really put a foot wrong um, all season, much less after a, such a, um, a great performance at such a big event like the Olympics as well. You know, she hasn't let the gold medal sort of rush, you know, get to her, I guess. And um, yeah, she's been able to continue on her form um, from, you know, prior to the Olympics, the Olympics and even now. And so, um, yeah, it's really good to see her um, continuing to be at her very best. Yeah, we mentioned last week that she ha was kind of in the running and had the chance to win three Crystal Globes. But also we kind of did frame it as that being like, you know, the cherry on top of an already magnificent season from her. So this by no means is any dis any kind of disappointment for her. She should be super happy with what she did. And she still did make remarkable achievements throughout the season. Obviously no one can belittle an Olympic gold medal at all from anyone, but also like uh, this was her 12th podium of the season, even though she was in silver. And that means that she still has broken she still has had such a good season and kind of beat now the records set by Alyssa Camplin and Britt Cox previously on the amount of podiums for Australian winter athletes of how many podiums uh, one has made during a season. And that is insane. Yeah. So I think also like it can't be discounted that while she finished third in the standings for that singles, she missed out on that crystal globe by 0 0.43 points because had she beaten Corinne Lafont, she would have ended up being uh, winning gold at the competition and then also getting enough ranking points to go into first place because it was just that tight between the top three. Um, but also, like, at, as you said, like, uh, she's won 12 competitions this year, but, like, 
she missed one podium for the entire season. And it's not like, oh, she missed that podium and finished in like eighth or ninth. She finished in fifth that week as well. So like one rough weekend where it was actually just that she was on the podium once and wasn't on the podium the other time. So she didn't do as well in one of the two comps. Um, proofs that not only has she been incredibly consistent, but when she's down, she gets up very, very quickly. I thought we'd go to an Australian youngster, Josie Bath, who competes in the snowboard cross. Uh, people remember the snowboard cross from the Winter Olympics as kind of a letdown, I think. Just there was there were higher expectations than what ended up happening. But Josie has officially won the title of Rookie of the Year for women's snowboard cross athletes because it's her first season, she's only 18 years old. And while she didn't make all of these podiums or anything like that, she had quite a few small finals and she proved to be a pretty consistent racer. So I think that it's one of those things where it's like, it wasn't a title I was even considering for the Aussies this year. And then it was just like popped up in my Instagram feed on Sunday morning, I think it was. And it was like, oh my God, Josie, yes. Yeah, like you said, um, you know, her first appearance at an Olympic Games and uh, she finished in 18th place. And um, yeah, I think that, I think that this has just been sort of a memorable sort of first season and first finish, um, sorry, a memorable finish to this World Cup season in particular. Uh, she recorded a personal best seventh place and and now obviously takes home this Snowboard Cross Rookie of the Year award. So um, as you said, she's only young and she's got the, her whole career ahead of her. So hopefully, um, you know, with this award, it sort of spurs her on a bit more and um, sort of shows that, you know, People are watching. People are taking notice of how well she, that she is doing at such an early age, um, and that she is sort of impacting uh, the sort of competitions that she is competing in. And hopefully, we do see her compete really well for Australia um, for many years to come, and continue to win awards and continue to win medals. Now, Rookie of the Year is often an interesting award, just because you know sometimes it is the marker and foreshadows a, a, a really successful illustrious career ahead but often but other times it can just be like you know um one really good season then then a couple of seasons of burnout it really is kind of a means of anticipation it's sort of uh indicative of the potential and the talent that is there but then it's still up to the athlete to realize that potential and make sure that their head's screwed on straight that they're conditioning correctly often injuries are kind of things that pull people out from getting the results that they really want to achieve as well so it's a really good kind of starting point for her especially to know that she has done so well especially in an olympic season where things are much more kind of tight and competitive than they would be otherwise so it's really promising for her especially going on ahead um that if she's kind of surrounded by the kind of a, a really solid base of support that she could really go on to do great things yeah and as you say with the base of support I think it is a real positive affirmation both for that Austra entire Australian snowboard cross team because they are quite tight-knit but also for Belle Brockhoff the only Australian woman in the snowboard cross circuit for so long um and Josie's come along and they're quite close by the sounds of it and then Josie succeeded so much this year um, to end up winning this Rookie of the Year title that, like, even though Belle, like, can't compete forever and hopefully she's going to try and go for another Olympic cycle, there is still the, like, 
Snowball Cross for women is going to be left in good hands when she does eventually retire. It also is probably kind of for the better to have two two athletes rather than one athlete from a nation competing in any discipline or event just because obviously there's the competitive spirit that's riled up a little bit more in terms of the fact that you realize that you have a direct rival that you do need to beat that you're going to see a lot more frequently but it does mean like you said that there is that sense of camaraderie especially if you're from a smaller nation to be like we're in this together um and kind of being mutually supportive and mutually able to motivate each other to achieve the greater heights for the country and we'll move on to the indoor world athletics championships um it feels quite early in the season for there to be a world championships but then it was like it's an indoor event and so I was like oh okay I'll, I'll give it a pass sure but we had two medalists for Australia at the event uh, Ash Maloney in the heptathlon and Eleanor Patterson in the high jump so we'll start with Ash because he won bronze and it was a pretty solid performance. He missed out on silver by nine points in the end. Um, and like you could say that he missed out on that silver medal because of the strategic moves that um, they attempted with the high jump because he's got some flare up with a knee in, uh, an exist pre-existing knee injury and chose to retire from that when he probably could have gone a few centimeters higher to get a few more points. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like risk versus reward. You were still rewarded with a bronze medal. Um, and he competed great. Like there's some blistering times in there in both the 60 meter sprint and the hurdles event, um, which I mean, when you look at it, you're just like, oh, we're going to see you in Birmingham. I know the Canadians compete there, but like at the Com Games, is there a chance that there's going to decathlon bronze, silver, gold medal even? Yeah, um, you know, obviously great by Ash claiming his second consecutive bronze medal on the international stage and he broke numerous records in the process. So um, there's every bit of possibility that we can see, you know, something like that in, you know, um, upcoming events and up in, uh, in the coming years as well. Um, because, you know, as, as we said, we, he kept on improving, um, and, you know, he was only nine points shy of silver. Um, and that's not, you know, that big of a margin really. Um, and so, yeah, um, I think that he was really good in keeping in line with the rest of the competition and he'll do great things, um, in the coming events too. Definitely, especially in these kind of events that feature multiple disciplines in the same kind of competition, it's always going to at the end of the day at the end of the day be about that strategy and everyone goes in with pre-existing kind of injuries and niggles and conditions that they're all trying to manage especially uh, at the end of the season. So it's really about balancing that out and making sure that the rest of the uh, disciplines that you feel like you are um, using to compensate for a weakness that you do have don't suffer as a result. I think Ash could also tell that it was going to be really really close and that he was looking around him at like the people who were like oh if I beat you I can get somewhere and if I beat you here I can like really make it onto the podium. So it's obviously on their minds as well. Yeah, and I think that the hard part for Ash is that probably, aside from those throwing events, his weakest event is the last event, being, in this case, the 1,000-metre uh, race. But there's also the 1,500 when it comes to a decathlon. And 
that's clearly where he struggles a little bit. <laughs> he just has to get those times. But at the same time, if he can do enough in the early events to get him points, the time becomes slightly less of a concern at the very least. But we'll go to Eleanor Patterson because she wants silver. Uh, and she broke, I think it's the Australian record, the Commonwealth record and the Oceanic record, as well as just setting a new career personal best, regardless of whether it was indoor or outdoor, uh, by jumping two metres flat in the high jump event. And look, it was good enough to win silver. It was one centimetre better than her personal best. And like her last attempt was like a 204 centimetre attempt. Uh, the fact that she was going for a jump that was five centimetres better than her previous personal best to try and clinch that gold medal, it's just like, that's ballsy, <laughs> especially when you set your previous record a month ago. Yeah, she obviously had a belief that she, you know, possibly could do it or even, you know, just wanting to try and test it out whether she could and, um, you know, hope that it sort of came off. But, um, yeah, really good achievement by her to um, claim a new um, Australian indoor record of two metres flat um, to secure that silver medal. And um, she became the first Australian to medal in the high jump at indoor worlds as well, which is really good. Um, yeah, and I think that, yeah, like we said, that she tried to um, go for a jump that was five centimetres um, higher than what she has um, you know, what we've known her to achieve in the past as well um, is a really good feat and hopefully she does actually get there and, you know, keep on attempting that. And obviously, yeah, if she can do it um, two metres flat and, you know, that's, she's, you know, casually sort of inching her way there. So hopefully it'll come one day. Yeah, the way she talks about the two metre kind of barrier that she feels in kind of the event because obviously it's really fun we all love a whole number in any sense <laughs> so two metres flat is like a really kind of great record to break and it does seem the way that she talks about it and her mentality that it is kind of just like a fun little challenge and kind of a goal that she does want to reach and which she did reach at this event but it's just kind of along the way it wasn't like her end point at any in any sense it was just something she did believe that she could do I think that kind of with this uh with the two meters and four uh four centimeters that she set as her final attempt it does suggest that she is going to continue kind of pushing herself into having these little challenges and she does believe that she can do more which also speaks loads to the condition of her training and the condition that she feels like her body is in and those I think are the really key takeaways that we should take we should be kind of um, taking from this event is that she thinks that she's in a good enough condition in general with everything around her, with her environment and with her body that she can still continue to break records in Australia, Oceania and the Commonwealth um, when the right day comes and she probably will. Yeah, exactly. And she took like a year off um, in 2018, came back in 2019 and has really like attributed um, the work that she's done with her coach as uh, a massive boost for her. Um, but I thought we'd move on to another thing that happened in this event. Uh, and Armand, a lot of people know him as Mondo, Duplantis, ended up just a monster jump um, in the pole vault, 6.2 metres, uh, setting a new indoor world record, also higher than his outdoor world record, which is 6.15 centimetres. Um, and just 
insane. He's clearly the best in the world. But the fact that he's just doing these jumps for fun feels ridiculous. Yeah, the fact that he um, has basically broken his own pole vault record for the second time in, you know, less than two weeks. Um, and, you know, in the same sort of arena. So he understood sort of the um, environment that he was in. Um, yeah, just adding another gold medal um, to his collection. Um, you know, continuing to clear, you know, higher bars every time. Um I think that, yeah, the fact that he's doing this sort of like at different events that are sort of so close to each other, it's like we were saying before that, you know, he is really feeling that belief that he can, you know, achieve these results, um, you know, so soon after he sort of sets a one world record um, already. And I think that that sort of progression just shows the sort of um, momentum that he's sort of on and, you know, the momentum that he's riding sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I would believe that, you know, if there's a, an event next week, I don't know if there is, but I'm sure that he would break another world record at that one. Yeah, it's really funny the way that some people approach the season in terms of when to take their biggest risks and go for their biggest challenges. You see often a little bit of that at the beginning of the season, just because there's nothing to lose yet. You don't have set rankings that are really set in place about who's the top runner yet. So you can kind of afford probably to try something that you've been working on during the off season and seeing how the, how it goes. And then also you have that at the end of the season, if you kind of have that more strong sense of where you are in the rankings and you can be like, well, if I like try this thing and it doesn't work out, then I know what I need to do for next time. But I'm, I feel comfortable with where I'm at in this. So it's really interesting and really fun actually to see um, how like coming to the end of the season, we are see like seeing these new records um and kind of a lot of this momentum coming um especially um given that the commonwealth games are coming up i mean i think that there is the benefit that sweden is not a part of the commonwealth so we don't have to deal with him there um but at the same time like mondo's just a freak like the fact is he did not miss a jump uh 6.05 meters <laughs> Um, and Tiago Braz, who won the silver medal, was 25 centimetres off Duplantis' record, um, which that's just insane. I do think that um, pole vault is one of the few events where being indoors is like a genuine advantage. That's why there is such a wide gap between the world record for the outdoor and the world record for the indoor. Um, Granted, at the same time, though, I'm sure when uh, Outdoor Worlds rolls around, you'll probably be trying to break that record again as well. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm i just kind of like, I feel bad for anyone that, like, has to compete against him. He is effectively the Michael Phelps of pole vault, like, at this point. Just ain't nobody beating him. <laughs> you're welcome to try, but you're not going to do it. Uh, but it is time for our figure skating world championships discussion. Um, the moment that I think we've been waiting all season for, especially since after the Olympics, because Worlds is going to look a little bit different to the Olympics. We've got no Russians. We've got only one gold medalist from the Olympics. That's Papadakis and Ciceron. Because the Russians and the Chinese both aren't there. Nathan Chen has... Um, withdrawn due to an injury it sounds like more of a niggle than a full-blown injury and then of course you've also got no user hanyu so in every event except for 
the ice dance and it's still just a case of Papadakis and Ciceron are we going to have a new world champion um and look Dan made his prediction it's uh me here to interrupt your figure skating um preview with the oracle of truth here um I think it's fair to say that in the men's we're going to have Yuma Kagiyama continuing his good form and taking home the world championship pretty much written in stone already as the world champion um take it all the way to the bank um, as for the women's, uh, the triple axel Queen Wakaba is uh, a shoe-in as well. Two Japanese gold medals at a world championships is, is uh, something that pretty much has been belonged to the Chinese and the Russians, but without either country there, uh, the Japanese are going to take center stage. Uh, in the pairs, uh, nobody knows, and uh, anyone who can convince me otherwise, um, you'll have my full confidence because... Without the Olympic podium there, um, it's anyone's game. And it's going to be Papadakis and Ciceron in the ice dance because no one's beating them, especially not at a home world. But I thought we should actually properly talk through the events um, and figure out who we think is going to win. It starts on Wednesday night, so the short program for the ladies and the pairs will have already happened when this episode comes out. But when we're going in blind but educated... <laughs> um who do we reckon is gonna take home the world championship this year we'll start with the men's competition because that's definitely an interesting one obviously the front runner given that nathan chen's out from anyone who's seen the olympics is going to be shemuno he is uh now the kind of highest ranking um and has the best scores throughout the season um coming into this event and he still does seem very solidly kind of able to reach that world championships in terms of what we know about his condition and his injuries and his many many vlogs where he shows us snippets of his training it does seem like he is in a solid condition enough in order to do the tech content that he's been doing all season and if he does do that it's enough to warrant him a win especially since he is coming off a of bronze at this um, recent Olympics. And also, uh, in contrast to Yuma, he has a stronger and more solid base of achievements and medals um, just from his uh, senior competitive career in general. He has three Olympic medals because we're also including the team event. And in these cases, we like to appreciate team medals as is. Sometimes that's <laughs> not the case. Um, and also he has a whole bunch of world medals to his name. And those are all going to be things that mean the judges do recognize him a lot more and know uh, what he's capable of and therefore are willing to give him those high scores come worlds um, if he delivers a really strong performance. Yeah, a clean Shoma definitely beats a clean Yuma Kageyama. That's kind of been Shoma's problem for the past two seasons is that aside from nationals, um, he hasn't been able to beat Yuma, but at the same time, aside from nationals, he hasn't actually been clean at a lot of competitions. His Olympic free skate had quite a few errors. His world's free skate last season where Yuma won silver also had a lot of errors. Yuma also could be about to fall into the same trap that Shoma's had for most of his career where it's just going to take a long time to get a major championship win. He hasn't won a Grand Prix final yet. Granted, I don't actually think there's been a Grand Prix final since um, Worlds has come along. Yuma hasn't won four continents. Um, he obviously didn't win Olympic gold and he's only got that world silver. So... I think it's one of those things where it's like Shoma is the highest ranked Japanese man and that is to an advantage. Um, I I do really, really, really rate Yuma and there's a reason why Dan thinks that Yuma is going to win this whole thing and that's partially just because 
he's really clean, but his PCS is going to hurt him. Um, and as I've said, it, like Shoma with one or two mistakes can still beat Yuma um, because of that PCS buffer. And granted, the thing that we do need to remember in the slew of medals that he hasn't won at major competitions is he did miss out, even though he was the favourite to win the Junior World Championships medal in his final season there. But that's mostly because he was so exhausted because he was also competing senior that season and he was at Four Continents. And then and he medaled at Four Continents. He got a silver, I believe. And then he had to go back to Junior World Championships and he just seemed flat out. But that does mean that he's probably much more used to those shorter seasons as well well because junior worlds does operate on a little bit of a different schedule to senior worlds and the rhythm and the pacing for that kind of training is different because of the calendar so this is going to be relatively late in Numa's season seeing if it's going to be a challenge for his stamina his momentum and his training um and it isn't helped by the fact that this is a pretty irregular season that he's been subject to already so <laughs> he does have the chance to do really well and to skate really cleanly, but there's also very much the possibility that some of his elements might suffer and we might not see as grand of a performance as we know that he's capable of giving. Yeah, and I mean, if we look at the American men, we've got no Nathan Chen, obviously. So Vincent Joe is the top American man in this team. The problem is with Vincent is at the last World Championships, he didn't actually make the free skate. Um, obviously, what happened at the Olympics regarding COVID uh, was a, a ma like, massively unfortunate for him. Uh, but at the same time with Vincent, it is really hard to predict what he's going to do. On his best day, he could win this whole thing. On his worst day, he won't qualify for the free skate. Um, I borderline wouldn't even put him in the top three, and it's because of another American man who we don't necessarily know a whole bunch about because we haven't seen him internationally too much in seniors, is Ilya Malinin, who has stepped out of the box, came second at US Nationals and has looked pretty damn incredible um, since then. He only just got his, world, uh, his technical minimums uh, like a month ago, I think it was, which guaranteed him that spot at Worlds. But I mean, since US Championships, it's just been like, all right, when's it happening? Rather than uh, like actually being like, oh, I hope someone else gets into the team. And I think Ilya is the best chance for a US podium at this point. Um, at the same time, just as unpredictable as Vincent. Ilya is a funny one. For him, it's going to be about the tech content more, more than anything. And once again, as you said, it is about being able to de deliver when it counts which is often the challenge for especially younger and less mature skaters which he definitely is and that's no criticism to him because he is very young as an athlete as is there's a lot of potential ahead and he's probably had a bit of a strange time being uh because obviously he most of us kind of expected nathan chen to um go to worlds to some degree um most of us didn't know that he had an injury of any kind, which is the reason why he withdrew. Most of us would have understood if he didn't want to go to Worlds because <laughs> he had already had his Olympic success. So I think in terms of the Olympic team, as soon as Nathan Chen had announced that he was intending to go to Worlds, I think all of the substitutes would have been like, okay, so that's probably the end of my season. And then for Nathan Chen to be like, jokes, I have an injury. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Bye. Um, 
probably means that, you know, there's a little bit of scrabbling. There's a little bit of trying to get your head back on. Mentality is going to be everything for both Vincent and Ilya when it comes to the Americans and their chances at podiuming um, in this event in general. Um, Given that there's seasons thus far, it's going to be really hard to say what happens. It's also, to me, going to be a little bit more up in the air what the judges are going to do at this event. It's not as clear cut just because the favourites, especially in the men, um, aren't there for kind of a lot of the um, holding back your top scores to happen and therefore lowballing skaters that go earlier in the um, in in the competition. In the event, yeah. Um, I mean, there's also just like, it's one of those things where Vincent doesn't perform all that well when the pressure is on. When the pressure's off, he wins a world medal. Um, and you're like, what the hell? How did this happen? But now that the pressure's on, the expectation is that he's the top US man. Um, I'd, it's more likely that he's going to flounder than flourish. Um, before we go to the ladies, who are we going to pick as our gold medalist each? I'm saying Shoma. I'm not going to lie, but I'm biased. I'm more drawn towards Shoma as well. I think, I don't know, it just seems like that kind of vibe for him this season. And like, I like to make my predictions going on vibes. He's feeling good about himself. Stefan's feeling good about him. He has these medals. He has these achievements. He just feels much more solid. And he has his doggos. I'm going to go for Yuma. Ooh, contra- it's not even controversial because Dan already went with you. No, no. I know. It's just like a two-two split between. <laughs> Sarah, either somewhat two people are going to walk into next week being losers or four people are going to walk into next week being losers. <laughs> um but we'll move to the ladies um and once again it's gonna be a battle between Japan's top two I think that's everyone's assumption though it is basically a battle between Okaba Higuchi who is the new triple axle queen and Olympic bronze medalist incredibly consistent just amazing wonderful she's my favorite Kaori Sakamoto um and look I mean, considering the results at the Olympics, but also just historically, as far as this ladies field is concerned, I don't think that there's anyone else that can actually contest with them because even the skaters that do have triple axles and are pretty, like, and are really good, uh, they just can't get the scores that these two get. Definitely. And, like, Wakava is also this kind of post-Olympics world's kind of specialist. Her... World silver medalist came in that 2018 season as well. It was a an amazing performance that she delivered after she missed out on the Olympic team that season, um, which kind of was devastating for her, but has truly motivated her for the quad since, which has led to her flourishing and everything that she's done and achieved this season as well. Um, I agree that I don't think there's going to be any kind of competition that could potentially kind of upset these two being your gold and silver on the podium it does feel like a battle for bronze in this case I'm going to be really interested in as like the most interested in how the scoring pans out in the women's event because I think I've always 
kind of held the belief that it is those Russian skaters, especially those under a Terry Tuparetsi, who skew the scoring and lead to a lot of the inconsistencies in how technical elements are judged in the sense that they get a lot of benefit of the doubt that a lot of skaters aren't granted the privileges of accessing because of their reputation and because of who their coach is. So now that a lot of the Russians aren't there, I've historically said that a lot of my favorite competitions to watch in the women's are ones where uh, Russian skaters aren't competing. So your four continents and your Japanese nationals. And this is going to feel a lot more like those competitions because you don't have any of the Russian girls who have previously just taken over and swept every single podium where they've been present unless barring major disaster. Yeah, I agree. And I think that as a result, the PCS are going to look a lot more sensible. Um, I know that some people think that now it's going to be like the Americans are going to politics. So Mariah Bell gets the best PCS. It's clear that the judges think that Kari Sakamoto is one of the best skaters, not jumpers, but skaters in the world. The fact that she consistently gets scores that match those Russian girls that are under a Terry Tuparetsi is the proof of that because that's not some politic boost. That's a genuine score. And that what is typically a 35 or 36 could end up being a 37 or a 38 at this competition, provided she's clean. Um, and that is going to be the big thing with the two Japanese girls is if they're clean, nobody's beating them. Um, Wakaba can get called for under rotations and will not get beaten by the Americans or the Koreans, which I think the battle for bronze very much is between uh, Hayen Lee, Young Yu from Korea, Alyssa Liu from the United States, and then also um, Luna Hendricks from Belgium, who the funniest thing about this world so far, the when competition hasn't even started, is <laughs> Luna wasn't entered originally. Um, and so the marking as to why she got added um, as a change to the preliminary entry is just like federation error because the Belgian Federation forgot that she might be competing. Definitely a funny one there. It's actually really kind of a fascinating point to me that there are these parallels in the way that we believe that the men's and the women's events are going to be given how different the circumstances are yeah. in those events coming into this competition. The fact that we're saying probably two Japanese on the podium, the, the third is probably going to be a Korean skater, most likely. Maybe an American can boost in if you want. The only difference I think is the fact that the third Japanese woman, Monica Wabe, doesn't have kind of the uh, experience and kind of proved the kind of technical prowess and the consistency that she needs in order to be a contender for that bronze position on the podium uh, behind uh, Kauri and Wakaba. Yeah, I think Mana could be a top five skater. I don't think even clean she can be a top three skater unless this is a disaster competition, which look, competitions in France can be interesting, that's for sure. But we also have an Aussie competing, uh, Kalani Crane. So at the Olympics, she just missed out on the free skate, but... I mean, she's probably going to be back better than ever, has a point to prove now um, after what happened at the Olympics. And I think that it's a big deal if you can not only get into that top 24, but maybe get closer to the top 15. She had a career best at four continents. So we know that like these programs this season are lacked with the judges. She just needs to not double that opening triple Lutz and she should be good. Yeah, Kalani 
definitely has the potential and now kind of with the state of the competition there is a greater chance for her of making that free skate than previously maybe we would have expected where we would be working off a little bit more faith um, in order to ensure that she does um, kind of qualify into that top 24. We've also mentioned when we were talking about her at the Olympics, she has excellent programs. She's going to be a joy to watch and she does deserve to showcase those programs um, one last time, presumably, before we move on to the next season where we look forward to seeing new, amazing, stunning, magnificent programs from her. <laughs> uh, so we'll go for predictions. Um, Michelle, who are you going for for gold medal? This really is a season where I think we share a brain cell and it's a, it's a hopeful brain cell um, thematically consistent where kind of I, I do want Kauri to wear gold at a non-nationals event this season. Please and thank you. Yeah, I'm also going Kauri. I am obviously a big time Kauri fan. This is the same way I'm a big time Shoma Uno fan. Um, and while I think that Wakaba, even with two triple axles, and maybe she adds in an axle, triple axle combo as well into her free skate, there's just, there's such a risk that the judges are going to end up calling her for under rotations that are borderline or genuinely are under rotated that I'm like, oh, it's, it's not as safe of a bet as Kauri. <laughs> Uh, Jason, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to go um, with the same answer as both of you this time. <laughs> I'm going to go with Kauri as well. Um, but you did speak about him, her before, um, Alyssa Liu. I'm really interested to see how she'll go, and I hope that she does podium because um, she was pretty good at the Olympics and, of course, um, this season as well. So I think that she can definitely find a place on the podium, obviously, um, with all those withdrawn athletes too. Yeah, and we'll move to pairs, which... Um, this is going to be a weird one to talk about because first through fifth at the Olympics are all not competing because those are Russian and Chinese athletes. So no Swayhan. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the only one I actually care about. The Russians, I couldn't really care less about not being there. But it means there is a guaranteed new gold medalist. Most of these teams have never even podiumed at a world championships before. Um, or if they have, they've podiumed with different partners. So they've never podiumed as a team. Um, I think that the battle is expected to be between the Japanese, the Americans and the Canadians, um, just as to where it comes into play is interesting. I thought we'd start with the Americans this time though, because there's two teams, so double the chances. Uh, Ashley Kane Gribble and Timothy LeDuc, which is borderline an honorary Aussie team because Ashley is uh, the niece of Peter Kane, who is a three-time Olympian for Australia. Um, so we kind of get to claim them a little bit. And then Alexa Kinnearum and Brandon Fraser, who finished sixth at these Olympics. So they technically go in as the favourite, I guess. But at the same time, like it was close. It's a really interesting time for the American pairs because <laughs> they have a greater chance than they have had in a while to really kind of make a splash on that podium um, this time around, just because previously the problem with the American teams is that they were inconsistent. Now they're in a field where everyone's inconsistent. <laughs> and in that field, they do kind of come up a little bit higher than maybe the rest. 
uh, depending on what those inconsistency are, those inconsistencies are obviously. Um, but it does mean that, like you know, they don't worry about the pressure of putting together a absolutely foot perfect, flawless performance because they know that that's not what they need to deliver in order to get onto this podium. It would be great if they did. It would mean personal bests, seasons best, and all of that. But in terms of standings and everything, it really could mean something for them. Yeah, I think that so long as you get all of your levels across two programs, you pretty much win Worlds this year for pairs. It is a weird, weird pairs competition. Normally it's like a short thing. And this year I'm just like, I don't know. And that's why when I like was like to Dan, what are your predictions? And he was just like, you guys don't tell me enough about pairs for starters. But also, like, if Sway and Han aren't there, I just don't know. <laughs> um, but then you've got the Japanese team. Um, so they came, they came seventh at the Olympics. Uh, Riku Mira and Ryuchi Kihara. Look, they are probably the next favourites. Um, it will be Japan's first ever pairs medal if they make the podium. If you are going to do that, you might as well win the gold. Um, it is their best chance to do it. If they do it, they uh, if they even, I think, finish in the top three, it means that for the next World Championships, Japan technically has three spots, uh, four worlds, which they don't have three teams. <laughs> so that makes it a little bit interesting, but it gives their second team, although very unlikely, the opportunity to get the world's technical minimums and then go to the next world championships, which to get to compete at those competitions is a big boost um, and helps you grow. I really want them to win. Um, it is one of those like biased things of like America has a solid pairs program. This is the best possible thing for Japan's pairs program and they are slowly but surely growing. But then there's also the Canadians. Um, so you've got Vanessa James and Eric Radford who have both done well with other partners. Uh, they're also probably the oldest team, uh, 34 and 36. But at the same time, they have not done great together. Um, they are still a pretty new team. But at the same time, like, if they win, is it that they were actually the best? Or was there a little bit of nostalgia bias going on? That's going to be one of the questions at this event. However, I think given their performance throughout the season and the fact that Mira and Kihara have beat them pretty solidly at most competitions throughout the season, that any kind of nostalgic scoring can't take them too far um, onto that podium than kind of their skill level will allow as a new team that is not used to skating with each other that has vastly different technique, which are more fundamental problems at hand their biggest kind of task in this competition probably will be in kind of the mini internal Canadian face-off um, between them and Walsh and Michaud, who um, were expected to get that second Olympic spot. However, it was announced by the Canadian Federation that uh, James and Radford uh, were given that spot instead, despite the fact that they withdrew after the short program. Um, and Evelyn Warshop and Walsh and Michaud had just given some of the best performances yet in that free skate, which landed them second at Canadian Nationals. 
Um, since then, Welsh Emmy Show did go to Four Continents, where they did show a more kind of expected inconsistent performances for them as a younger team, but also their problem is really their inconsistency. Um, so it will be kind of interesting to see how the international judges view these two teams on the world stage, uh, given the, the flaws that both teams has and the things that they're up against, uh, given everything that's happened throughout the season to them thus far. Yeah, and on top of that, like Walsh and Michelle are the future of Canadian pair skating. We know that um, Kirsten Moore-Towers and Michael Marinaro are going to retire either at the end of this season they're retired or they're not going to last very long. They're not going to go for another full Olympic cycle. Um, the same is true with James and Radford. I don't actually expect them to continue competing after this season. It seemed like a last-ditch effort kind of Olympics um, for both of their careers. They can also make a lot of money doing uh, the shows um, in off-season and that sort of thing. As far as predictions are concerned, Jason, I'm going to start with you because I feel like you're the biggest fish out of water here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> well... Jackie, I heard what you were saying about um, the pairing of Ashley Kane-Gribble and Timothy LeDuc before about Ashley's connection to Australia. Um, and obviously, um, for me, I guess Timothy's, um, you know, being non-binary. So I'm going to go with them, um, that pairing to win Worlds. If they do win, they're going to look absolutely fabulous <laughs> with those costumes that they have. Oh. Yeah, I mean, as far as the American teams are concerned, I am kind of keen to see it. <laughs> I am going to go with the other American pair of Alexa Kinnearum and Brandon Fraser. I think the fact that they are the top finishers at the Olympics, even though it was very close, if they skate clean enough, they should be able to get that win. I think that also the United States uh, Skating Federation is going to politic for this pair's win. They can't get ladies. We know that Cowrie and Wakaba are both just too good and the American girls actually have a battle against the Korean girls to even get this bronze medal. Uh, and men's, their men are not consistent enough for them to politic a men's win. So pairs is probably where it's at for them, aside from ice stands. And Kinnearum and Fraser, I think, is where they're going to sink their uh, political queen. I'm going to just go off what my heart tells me and I'm going to say Mira and Kihara because that's what I want to happen and I want to will that into existence. Obviously, Kanira and Frazier did beat them at the Olympics, but I'm hoping that just like Riku Mira uh, really got validated the, by the fact that she got shouted out by Sui Wenjing and also being able to compete with her in a competition who we know that Riku's idolised um, Wenjing for the longest time and you can kind of see it in their hairstyles as well um which is what a great kind of hero to have in your sport um and I hope kind of they really feel the momentum and the love and given that I think it's going to be um a battle of cleanliness but also minor errors things like two-footed landings on jumps and that kind of thing that they've kind of put in the work is uh since the Olympics in order to fix those kinds of underlying issues. I'm sure their coaches, including Megan Duhamel, um, 
are really kind of going to be focusing on the, on those minor details since they have now kind of mentality wise kind of proven that they are able to handle a bigger um, kind of global stage and no stage is going to be bigger than the Olympics. So I think that there is more chance of it happening this season than there has been ever before. And I really do like the idea of three Japanese skaters sweeping the golds in this world. <laughs> Because they're not sweeping ice dance. No. Um, all, right. all right, we're going to go to the actual event that is a sure thing because at their home world championships, Olympic champions, Papadakis and Ciceron, they're not getting beaten. Like, it, it's just flat out. I, I'm not even actually going to go into it. If you are a fan of skating, you know. If you're not a fan of skating, I mean, you should know if you paid attention to the Olympics at all. Nobody's beating them. They're probably going to be, break their own world records at their home worlds. Um, it will take multiple major errors for them to lose this competition. That is how much I am saying that it is sewn up. So we're going to talk about the battle for silver instead. I mean, it's mostly between the two American teams of Madison Schock and Evan Bates and Madison Hubble and Zachary, and Zachary Donahue. And then I'd also throw the Italian team of Charlene Guinard and Marco Fabri in as like the the little spicy addition to it. They could come in and beat one of those American teams at least. Between the two American teams, they've always had a very strange rivalry, the Battle of the Madisons, um, uh, because oftentimes whatever uh, Chuck and Bakes are more likely to win nationals. Um, and four continents, but then Hubble and Donahue get the better result at Worlds. So there is very much a split and it's really kind of splitting between hairs between those two teams, sometimes on the basis of kind of even like the, the personal sensibilities of the judges taste-wise about what style of program they like better, because that's what's the big differentiator between these two teams. Um, is kind of the styles that they are going for. Chalk and Bates often go for kind of more um, poppy programs, which they've especially leaned into this season. And their chemistry leans a lot more kind of uh, intense and almost a little bit sexual just because they are a couple. And that's something that they do kind of lean into quite a bit um, in, their, in, in their choices of music as well. Hubble and Donahue have opted for two... Hubble and Donahue have opted more of the strategy of doing a very different free dance to the style of their rhythm dance um, and therefore they're going softer and a little bit more romantic um, in their music choice for the free dance which is a common strategy in ice dance especially in a season where the rhythm dance theme is urban dance so it will very much come down to taste perhaps some people do think that Hubble and Donahue are a little bit more technically polished in terms of levels and turns and kind of the quality of the skating skills that kind of thing but the entertainment and the wow factor of Chuck and Bates is undeniable in this instance for both teams uh, against the Italians Guignard and Fabri, I think that the real deciding factor is how well those rhythm dances are going to do because that is the weakness of Guignard and Fabri this time. They are a very classical team and in that sense they're not the best fit for urban and more contemporary style programs. They do quite well with a ballroom program, um, a Latin program they can pull off um, and any kind of folkish program, anything softer they can pull off but this kind of 
volunteer pop program that they've opted opted to lean into this season as opposed to blues that they could have chosen in this season and that would have been a justifiable choice and probably a better fitted one for them um is going to look a little bit strange on them and that might be something that really kind of impacts their impression on the judges and that might be a big enough gap that they kind of pulls them away from um the gold or the silver in that instance yeah and i'm not gonna lie like as far as ice dance is concerned the good action actually comes in the middle of the pack they have the most entertaining programs they're just some of the most enjoyable to watch um and i mean the australians harris and chan are technically in that middle of the pack and they have a very fun rhythm dance this season uh which is a kylie minogue medley we've talked about it in the past but i mean michelle that's got to be one of your favorite rhythm dances of this season absolutely do you know how devastated i was when they both <laughs> fell at four continents <laughs> Just because I wanted to see that program skated flawlessly. We can't discount the fact that they've decided to pair their Kylie Minogue rhythm dance with their Shaka Khan free dance. <laughs> so what a absolute banger of a combo that they have there. But yes, I do think that Kylie Minogue has been severely underused this season. Um, and I'm going to be bitter about that until the end. Um, as well as a bunch of other great pop artists that I don't think um really kind of got to be appreciated in uh the urban theme yeah that's for sure and i mean australian ice dance teams they either leave love they either leave fucking hell they either love to go like either super aussie or like super yassified they do like to yassify <laughs> yassify ice dance that's for sure um and like this year these two have gone with both for both of their programs which normally it's like oh one or the other so we had uh Dodds and Kerry doing Rocky Horror a few years ago which Chef's Kiss loved it at the same time though Harrison Chen were like let's just capitalize on the fact that everyone likes these kind of programs from the Australian teams and it's worked people do like them uh I mean, let's go with predictions. We're going to predict silver because I don't really have an interest in hearing everyone say Papadakis and Cicero. <laughs> so what are you guys guessing? For silver, I will guess, um, yeah, Madison Hubble and Zachary Donahue. I mean, they finished third at the Olympics and second at Worlds last year. So I think that they will just continue that form and, yeah, win the silver medal. Yeah, I'm keen to agree with that. I think Hubble and Donahue have a little bit more favor with kind of the international um judges granted that they don't make any errors and we've talked about kind of the state of ice dance errors where if you make a major error it's bad um for everything um yeah i'm also gonna go with hubble and donahue so like my aim to not make it a clean sweep of everyone picking the same thing didn't work um i think also what is big in this is the fact that it is their last international competition um and that is gonna tug on some judges heartstrings it's not a u.s national so they do have the advantage over chalk and base but that'll be the end of ascending olympus this week so jason michelle would you like to share your social media handles yeah you can find me on both twitter and instagram at jaceers and you can find me on Twitter at m underscore ch underscore ll underscore g double underscore and on Instagram at m.ch.l.g. So 
figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's Michelle with the vows replace, basically. Uh, you can find me at Godzi161 on Twitter and Instagram, even TikTok, but I don't post, so don't bother. Um, this has been Ascending Olympus. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Ascending Olipod. You can find Edge of the Crowd at edge of the crowd on twitter instagram tiktok and also facebook or linkedin if that's your kind of thing for social media you can also read any of our stories we will be doing content about figure skating worlds but just about australian olympians competing internationally um all culture stories or even a little bit of politics content now at www.edgeofthecrowd.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next thursday <laughs>